Please stand. We're going to read the passage for this morning, Luke 15. By the way, great to have Carly uh, uh, up here. Since I'm not the most funny guy in the world, it's good to have a little comedy, comic, comic relief up here, just a little on the tent side. Luke 15, beginning in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so. I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The word of God. Please be seated. Church, what is this passage about? What is Jesus talking about here? He's not talking about losing things and finding things. Not talking about lost sheep. Not talking about lost coins. What is he talking about? He is talking about the heart of God for lost people. He is explaining to these scribes and Pharisees who are grumbling about him the way God sees people. The question is, Jesus is eating with these uh, sinners, and that day they didn't do that. Uh, It was like compromise. It was legitimizing them. They're grumbling and complaining about that. And and when they do that, Jesus doesn't... um, go off and lecture them or tell them a story or have a logical argument. He tells a story. In fact, he's going to tell three stories. A lost sheep, then a lost coin, and then next week, a lost son. And what may be the most powerful chapter in all the Bible. And clearly, to tell three stories, he feels so deeply. And he doesn't really address eating with people and is that okay or not okay? And is that compromise or is that uh, kind of uh, legitimizing what they do in the life they live? He doesn't really address those things. He tells these simple stories from everyday life, and he is making it a point about the heart of God. He is telling us how God sees lost people, and he is telling us how God sees you and me. You know, church, uh, there there is simply nothing bigger than this, than how God sees us, than the heart of God. A.W. Tozer, a writer in past days, put it this way. He said, what comes into your minds when you think about God is the most important thing about us. And that is true. 
And especially what comes into your minds when you think about God and his heart towards us. Nothing is more important because that will determine everything in the spiritual life. It will determine everything in life. Your joy, your obedience, your trust, how you see God, how you see life, everything. And so this is such a powerful, such an important passage. What is on the heart of Jesus? What's he saying about God? All right, let's unpack this passage in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him, to hear him. Now we're familiar with these guys, the tax collectors and the sinners. Remember, the tax collectors were Jews, not Romans, but they raised money and taxes for the Romans. Okay, Rome controlled much of the Mediterranean world at this time in the first century. They certainly controlled uh, Israel, Palestine. So they were over Palestine at this time. And um, um, they, they hired, they contracted with these Jewish uh, leaders to raise taxes. And they could raise, had to raise a certain amount. And anything they raised over that, they could keep. And so that gave way to greed, that kind of a system. And they were considered greedy. They were uh, contaminated because they dealt with Gentiles. You know, you didn't do that. And they were traitors because they were working for the enemy, the hated Romans. And so these tax collectors, they may have been wealthy, but they were despised by the Jewish people. So those were tax collectors that Jesus was hanging with. And then there were the sinners, the known sinners. And that, that was a term that referred to those who, who, who openly violated the law of God. They, open, they clearly did not follow the law of Moses. They could have been adulterers. They could have been prostitutes. They could have been thieves. They could have been just others who, who clearly did not follow the law. So known sinners. Jesus was hanging with these people. Now, having a meal in our culture means something. I mean, that's a, a step of closeness in some way, but in the Middle Eastern culture, that was a big step. And in the Pharisees' mind, with all of their religious rules, they did not associate, certainly didn't eat with Gentiles, and didn't even eat with the lawbreakers, because that was like giving legitimacy to them and and saying, your lifestyle is okay, and they just didn't do that. And so they're grumbling, they're grumbling. And, and, And all these folks, all these tax collectors and sinners, it says, They all were drawing near to him. What was it about Jesus that uh, folks like the the, the tax collectors, the known sinners, the religious uh, outcasts were drawn to Jesus? What was it about him? Well, we can only imagine. Clearly, he did not come across to them as condescending and condemning. But he came across as winsome and loving and joy-filled and accepting why is it that the religious types uh, were uncomfortable with Jesus and the sinners were drawn to him? And why is it that so often it's just the opposite with you and me? And, and what does this say about the way we treat the sort of the, the known sinners around us and the outcasts of our society? They're drawn to Jesus. They're, they're drawn, it says, to hear him. I mean, they want to hear him. What, what does he have to say? Nobody talks like Jesus. Interesting, the verse before this one talks about hearing. Verse 35, 1435. By the way, let's just be real clear if you're fairly new to Bible study. The chapter divisions and the verse divisions were not in the original uh, manuscripts. They were not added to the 1500s. So it's just like all one steady writing, and, and we kind of go back and say, okay, yeah, that's a sentence division. Yeah, that's a chapter division. Uh, the manuscripts were too, too valuable to leave as big open spaces like we would. So there's no chapter division beginning 15. This is what the last line said. 
Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I mean, if you're willing to hear me, then come on, hear it. And the next verse, the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. I mean, they had a heart that he's looking for, a heart to hear him and what he's got to say and respond to it. Pharisees, religious leaders, they're grumbling, you know, just, I can't believe he's doing that, you know, just grumbling back and forth. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Ah, how could he? Scandalous. And then that sets up this incredible chapter with these three powerful stories. Simple stories, but powerful in what they've got to say. Jesus just goes right to the heart of who God is. He doesn't mess around with the surface issue of eating with sinners, but he goes much deeper. The heart of God towards lost people. Here's the story, beginning in verse 4. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And you just can imagine, you know, some on the fields outside of Jerusalem. In fact, you can go today to Bethlehem and see fields where uh, shepherds would be. You know, we got a couple of guys from uh, West Bank and uh, another one from East Jerusalem who are spending some years here going to school. And, you know, just right around their corner, there's some open fields. And, and, and they could imagine this scene. And Jesus says, you know, if anybody's up there and they've got 100 sheep and he counts them each day to see he's got, got them all here and he's missing one, you know, he's going to go after them. He's going to either turn the flock over to an assistant shepherd or put them together in some kind of a pen to kind of secure them. And he is going to go and look for that sheep until he finds it. And then he goes on to say, and when he finds it, he's going to put that sheep on his shoulders. You know, carry him up on his shoulders. Just like you may have carried a child or a grandchild up on your shoulders. And say he's going to do that little sheep. And he's going to be thrilled, rejoicing. So much so that when he goes back home, he's going to call his friends and neighbors. And we've got a party because I found my lost sheep. It's so exciting. What is Jesus saying? And then the punchline in verse 7, when he says, Just so I tell you, I tell you, scribes and Pharisees, I tell you, you woods edgers, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What is Jesus saying about God and lost people? He's saying they matter to him. They matter, whoa, they matter so much to him that, that whenever one of those precious lost folks that you are grumbling about, whenever one of those is lost, I'm going to search and I'm going to search until I find him or find her. And when I find him, when he comes home, there's going to be a great party. I'm going to be rejoicing. And they're going to throw a great big party. And there's going to be a banner. And your name's going to be on it. And, and all heaven's going to rejoice. The Pharisees may be grumbling, but all heaven is going to rejoice. Now, church, do you see God that way? Do you see God as, as a, the God of the party? As the God of celebration? The God of intense fervent love for lost people, his lost sheep. It's interesting. Um, they're introduced as sinners, and that's true. We're all sinners. But that's not the metaphor that Jesus uses. He uses the metaphor. They're not so much sinners, but they're lost. They're lost. That brings more compassion, doesn't it? Not so much bad people, though that's true, but they're lost people, and they need to get found. I love to run in the woods, and I love to explore cities uh, by running, and from time to time, I get lost. And, and usually, I don't worry too much about it, but, but from time to time, I get real lost. 
And, 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 and at those times, I get a little bit nervous that, you know, I, I want to get found. Uh, we need to get found. And, and these people around us who don't yet know the Lord and His love, they're not so much sinners, but they're lost. And they need to get found. And we need to help them. We need to have compassion for them. This, Jesus says, is the way God looks at these folks that you're grumbling about, that you don't care about. This is the heart of God. They matter to him so much, so much. Goes on. In case we didn't get it, in case they didn't get it, there's another story here, verse verse 8. Or what woman having ten silver coins? Now, don't think about these coins here, a quarter or a nickel or a dime. Not that kind of coin. It's a drachma, and uh, it would be worth a day's wage. So, you know, I don't know in our day, you know, $100, $150. So, you know, it's, it's worth a lot to this, probably this poor woman. Okay, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Now, again, don't think of a nice, smooth wooden floor or a nice carpet, but of an earthen floor. And it was dark in there. They, they either had no windows or small windows. You know, no big, you know, glass windows like we got. And so it would be dark. And, and she loses, right? you know, that, that, that money mattered to her. And she loses it and she, and she lights that lamp and she's careful sweeping. Kind of like an archaeologist today. They want to cover it up with other dirt. But carefully sweeping. And when she finds it, she's thrilled. <laughs> And again, the same thing. It seems like an overreaction for a lost coin. But party, you know, bring in the friends and the neighbors. And she says, I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And Jesus is telling us what God is like. And his heart towards people, towards lost people, towards maybe people that you would really not care for at all. I mean, maybe even, you know, guys who sell drugs and do bad crimes and or child molesters. Maybe terrorists, ISIS terrorists. What Jesus is saying, these people that you have no use for, these people that don't matter to you, God loves them. He loves them so much, he searches for them. He searches for them until he finds them, and he is thrilled beyond words when they come home and it's worth the party this is the heart of you church do do you see god that way um there's nothing more important than how how we see god how we feel about god and the satanic strategy against you is to get you to doubt the, the goodness and the love of god for you that is the satanic strategy you see that the very first time in Genesis 3, that Satan appears on the scene. You know, he's tempting Eve, and he's trying to convince her that God is holding back from her something good, something she really needs to be happy. That mean old God, how could he do that? Man, he said you can't eat from any tree of the garden. You know, he's just trying to cast some doubt about the goodness of God and the love of God. Now, friends, that has been the satanic strategy in your life all your days, all your days. And we've got to recognize the satanic strategy and say no to it. And go to the word of God, to what God says about his heart, and say yes to it. And there is no more powerful passage about the heart of God, especially the heart of God towards lost people, than Luke 15. In which he is stressing over and over so strongly, this is the way God sees lost people. 
He loves them. He loves them. And He searches for them. He searches for them. Friend, if you think that God is a stern taskmaster, a cosmic killjoy, then you have been listening to the lie of Satan all your life. And you need to say no because he's out to ruin your life and my life. But if we see God, tender love, relentless affection, full of mercy, the kind of God who chases after you, the kind of God who throws parties when you're found, that's the God of the Bible. And that's the way we must see God if we want to experience all the life he's got for us. He pursues you. He pursues you in love. He's done that all your life. Friend, you would not be here in this room unless God had pursued you. So you've been pursued. You're pursued. You're pursued in love by the God of the universe. And for most of us, he's found us. Uh, I, can, I can remember when I came to the Lord. I was 18 years old. Before that, it was kind of late 60s, early 70s. I was kind of like a, you know, an activist in search of a cause. I was looking for meaning and uh, looking at all kinds of places. I was reading Thoreau, reading Gandhi, reading Martin Luther, looking for, for meaning in life. And uh, I was a conscious objector here. I was a vegetarian there. And, and just well, I was looking for purpose and meaning in life. And, and I began reading through the Bible because I, I saw a college reading list that educated people have read certain books, and one of those was the Bible. So I began reading through the Bible. And as I am reading through the Bible, my senior year in high school, I am not aware of it, but God is after me. He's pursuing me. He's just relentlessly on my trail. And I'm not aware of it, but he is. And so by the time uh, I graduate from high school, go on July 4th to a beach in Galveston, Texas, Stewart Beach, then I am so hungry for God because God had been pursuing me and wooing me and drawing me. And friends, your story is different than mine. But if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, it is not so much because you pursued him, but because he pursued you in love. And in retrospect, you can look back and see that. If you're here this morning and you have not yet trusted Christ, well, God is pursuing you right now. Or you wouldn't be here. Uh, you wouldn't come to a place like it. It's kind of dangerous to come where God is and, and the Spirit of God. We, we teach what Jesus has to say. But God is drawing you. And, and you might as well just say, okay, uh, you know, find me. Um, come on in. There's this wonderful story involving Anne Lamott, a writer in San Francisco. And she tells her faith journey. And it was an unusual faith journey. Uh, Anne Lamott does this, uh, oh, very secular uh, person, had nothing to do with Jesus Christ, a writer, still written many books. And uh, she said she drank too much, uh, she slept around, she, she snorted cocaine, and uh, just very far from God. And uh, uh, she gets pregnant, and she doesn't want a child, certainly not with that man that she's having an affair with. And so uh, a friend takes her to a clinic, and she has an abortion. When she comes back, she, uh, she feels an overwhelming loneliness and sadness and even remorse. And she can't sleep. Uh, she's in physical pain. Uh, at night after night, she can't sleep. She tries to drink herself to sleep. And she says, one night, seven days after this had happened, uh, she's, she's struggling, um, kind of waiting for the dawn to come. And, and she turns off the light, and she senses this presence in the room. And she was very clear. And um, so she turns the light back on, looks all around. Her eyes searches every nook and cranny of the room, sees nobody. <laughs> So she turns off the light again, and uh, pretty soon the presence has come back. 
She says, this time I know who it is. It's Jesus. And he's over there sitting in the corner waiting for me with patience and love. Now, you might think that she would have liked that, but, but no, she said, when that happened, I was appalled. My, what would my hilarious, brilliant, progressive friends think if I became a Christian? She turns her face to the wall of the bedroom and says out loud, I'd rather die than come to Jesus. I mean, that's where she is. Uh, the next morning, gets up and... Uh, you know, she, she tries to dismiss this in her mind that, you know, maybe it's because I'd been drinking, maybe because the loss of blood, maybe because, you know, I just, you know, just, it wasn't real. I didn't actually hear anything. I didn't actually see anything. But, but she said that presence just kept pursuing me. See, she said it was, it's kind of like a cat morning in the house. And the, the problem with a cat morning in the house, if you give the cat some milk, he's going to want to stay. And she says, I was slamming doors left and right and, and just tried to stay a step ahead of that pursuit. I said about a week later, she, was, uh, she had been visiting this church, and, and she would go to hear the worship and the music, but when the preacher started talking, she would leave. Uh, and, and the next Sunday, she was uh, listening to the worship and singing. She had a little bit of a hangover, and she, she decided to stay to listen to the preacher, and she thought that what he said was absolutely ridiculous. Some people feel that way about my preaching. And... Um, uh, but we said she stayed, and, and the final song was powerful. It was so pure, so raw, so deep, that I felt like I was being held and just being rocked by some presence. And, and I left the service kind of weeping, and I began to run home to my houseboat. And I felt this pursuit, and she said, by the time I got home, I just said out loud, I quit. Come on in. And she said that was her beautiful conversion. Since then, she's been uh, pursuing the Lord. She writes books on faith and her faith journey. And, uh, you know, uh, this is the God of the Bible, the God who seeks us and pursues us. And all of our journeys are different. But, but if God is pursuing you, he will get you. And you will come home. And that is what you've been longing for all your days. And, and this morning... Just say yes. Just say, I quit. Uh, come on in. And he'll do it. He'll do it. He is such a humble God. And church, this is the heart of God. This is what Jesus is saying. But now, it, it, it's not enough this morning to think, okay, okay, uh, this is the attitude of Jesus towards tax collectors, prostitutes, thieves, and known sinners. And, and maybe even you get to the point where you could say, all righty, I guess this is the attitude towards the known sinners of our day. You know, the drug pushers, the child molesters, the criminals, and folks like that. But, but that's not enough. Friends, you don't get there until you get this is the heart of God about you. About you. Crazy. Crazy in love. Desperate in love for you. Uh, this past winter, there was a two-year-old toddler in Michigan um, who got lost. And apparently the, the family lived on the edge of the woods. And this little two-year-old gets lost out in the woods. And it's November, so it's pretty cold. And, 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 and they can't find her. So they're calling in research, the search teams and things like that. They look all night, cannot find her. The next day, uh, one of the search party finds this little two-year-old girl. She smiles at him when they found her. Now, now let me just think. Can you imagine 
that night for those parents. Imagine it. You can, can't you? Desperate. Oh, desperate. Desperate. Longing. God is telling you, this is the way I feel about you. I'm desperately looking for you. I want you. I want you back. I want you home. This is the heart of God. And of course, not real long after Jesus tells these unforgettable stories, he makes it possible by dying for your sins on a cross so you can come back to the Father. That's the heart of God. Friends, there's nothing more important about your life, about your spiritual life, about your life, than the way you see God. Is he a stern taskmaster who's really an angry God? Or is he bursting with tender love the way we're bursting with tender love for our kids and grandkids? You can listen to the lies of Satan and it will ruin your life. Or you can shut your ears to those lies and believe and receive the truths of the Bible about you, about you. Now, one more step. This is the heart of God towards lost people. This is the heart of God towards us. But if this is the heart of God towards lost people and known sinners, should it not be our heart towards lost people and known sinners? Are they not worth our, do they, should they not matter to us? Are they not worth our searching for? Are they not worth our praying for? You know, you're praying for your tough, are they not worth that? Do they not matter that much? Are they not worth our time? Our investment, our love, our compassion, not our judgment and our condescension, but our compassion and our welcome. They are. They are. This is the heart of God. This must be our heart. Church, see this. See, see God this way. Because this is the God of the Bible. The God of grace. The God of incarnation. Stand with me, please. Lord, thank you that you pursue us. Thank you that you pursued me, Lord. What a mess I would have been now if you wouldn't have pursued me. Lord, I pray that anybody in this room that not sure where they stand with you, they just say, yes, Jesus, come on in. Come on in. Just breathe a prayer and say, yes, he'll come in. Lord, I so pray that this, that the way we see God would permeate Wood's Edge, permeate Wood's Edge, that we would see you as the kind of God that Jesus taught us about. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.